0: Good morning. This morning we are reading out of the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 21 through 34. If you're using the new Pew Bibles, uh, it is on page 961. Again, 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 21 through 34. For as by a man came death, By a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, What do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Karen, for this morning's scripture reading. Uh, Before we get started with the sermon, let us say a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you sit in heaven enthroned above with the sun sitting at your right hand. And Father, you have spoken forth your word to us through the scriptures, through the Bible that we hold in our hands, and that we know that the words that are contained within it are good for life. And we pray that your spirit who dwells within us would prompt our hearts, our minds, and even our ears to hear the word you have to say to us, so that we might go from this place to conduct our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. pray that you would also help me, as I have the privilege and honor of preaching your word this morning, to communicate it clearly and faithfully. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So if you've been with us this week, you'd know that we are preaching through a series on the topic of the resurrection because we're preparing for Easter. Now the first time I heard the word resurrection was when I was age nine, at an Easter dinner with my family. Now understand my family that I come from, they're unbelieving. So I wondered as we were eating dinner together, as we took our piece of ham, our piece of turkey, our piece of roast beef, I wonder, why are we celebrating Easter? And so I go up to my cousin Suzanne, who's a believer, and I ask her, Suzanne, why do we celebrate Easter? And she says to me, well, it's to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as a nine-year-old boy, my vocabulary was quite limited. So I was wondering, what does resurrection even mean? And so I asked Suzanne, so Suzanne, what does resurrection mean? And she says to me, well, it's when someone dies and comes back to life. Now again, as a nine-year-old, I've never seen someone die and come back to life. All I could imagine were zombies coming out of their graves with their limbs limping like this, and their appetite being changed for human flesh, and it didn't really quite make any sense to me, and I dismissed it as a silly and odd idea. Now past another year, another Easter, my cousin invites me to attend Easter service, and at Sunday school, The teacher explains to me that yes, Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins, but he rose again to promise new life. That Jesus Christ rose again, not as a zombie, not as the undead, but a fully living person. And that the resurrection is critical and important for us because it provides us hope. And ever since... I heard the gospel presented to me that day. With every year that passed, every day that I've lived, I see the need for hope. I mean, you just need to turn on the news or read a news feed or go to your favorite news site. You see articles filled with death, disaster, and disease. I mean, even this past week, as I was listening to the NPR radio with my wife, I heard of shootings I've heard of package bombs. i heard of conflict internationally. And we live in a world that is broken, in a world that is in need of hope. And a gospel without resurrection leads to a life without hope. That the resurrection is so critical for us as believers to believe, to understand, to know, and to have confidence in if we were to have hope. I remember in seminary, I had a professor. He was from Hinkley, Minnesota, where men are men, pansies are flowers, and women are slightly above average. Hinkley, Minnesota. And he would make us make sure that we knew he was from Minnesota. But not only was he from Minnesota, but at a young age, he contracted a disease. He contracted polio. And so it affected his ability to walk his ability to move, his ability to jump and play basketball. He couldn't run. And yes, he received treatment for the polio, and he was able to retain some use of his legs. But then after years of teaching, after years of life, he experienced the effects of polio again, and post-polio syndrome. And again, his legs began to weaken. And I remember at a chapel message, he was sharing about the resurrection and how he longed for the resurrection. He longed to receive his resurrected body because he longed to run for the first time, to be able to play basketball with his friends. In college, I had a mentor who lost a child at a very young age. She died after a year because of complications. Her ashes still remain on his mantelpiece so that every day that he passes by that particular place in his living room, he remembers his daughter. And I'm sure that he's looking forward to the day of the resurrection when he's able to finally hear his daughter's voice, to be able to see her smile, to hold her hand, to brace her in a hug. You see, the resurrection provides us hope. It provides us a longing and desire to see Christ come and to receive that new body. And there's a lot of things in this world that would try and dissuade us from believing the resurrection. They would want us to believe that this world is all that there is and ever will be. So enjoy it now. Why wait? Why hold off? Because when you die, it's just going to be darkness and eternal sleep. So as you hear these opposing messages to the gospel, to the resurrection, how do you persist? How do you persevere in believing in the resurrection? Because it provides us hope. How do we continue to remain steadfast, unwavering, and our belief in the resurrection? And that's a question that we'll be answering this morning from this morning's text in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you don't have your Bibles turned there, please turn there with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And again, we'll be in verse 21. Now, for those of you who've been here, Last week, you would know that the letter of 1 Corinthians was written to the church at Corinth, and Paul addressed several issues. I mean, they had divisions because some wanted to follow Apollos, some wanted to follow Peter, some wanted to follow Christ. There was issues in terms of food offered to idols. Should we eat this food offered to idols? And there were issues in terms of orderly Church worship service. But another issue that Paul addresses in the letter of 1 Corinthians is the topic of resurrection. And in this morning's text, we're going to see four things that will help us persist in our belief and faith in the resurrection. What do we need to remember? What do we need to anticipate? What do we need to ponder? And what do we need to guard? And there will be four things that we'll talk about this morning from this text, talking about this idea of persistence. So first, what do we need to remember? We need to remember the necessity of the resurrection. We need to remember, why is it important? We need to play back in our minds, why is it that we need to believe in the resurrection? We need to remember the necessity of the resurrection. And we'll see in verse 21 and 22 two things, two reasons why we need to remember the necessity of the resurrection. First, is that one man's disobedience led to humanity's demise, that one man's rebellion led to humanity's death. And we see this in verse 21 and also in verse 22 in their first halves. If you look at with me at verse 21, it says, For as by a man came death. Now, it's rather general. Who is this man? And Paul clarifies in verse 22, For as in Adam all die. That when Adam ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the book of Genesis, he introduced sin into the world. Now, my wife and I are working through the New City Catechism, published by Crossway, and it's fitting because this week's question that we're working on has an answer that pertains to this particular topic. It says, Because of the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all of creation is fallen. We are all born in sin and guilt, corrupt in our nature and unable to keep God's law. That Adam's disobedience somehow led to sin being transferred to us. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I didn't vote for Adam. I didn't receive a ballot in the mail that said, I agree with what Adam did, and therefore I am suffering the consequence of this sin. This is unfair. Because if I were there, if I were in the garden, and if I were faced with that tree of knowledge of good and evil, I would say, serpent, take a hike because we know better. Would we? I was talking to Pastor Thomas in our pastoral staff office, and I asked him, what do you think about this idea of the fact that Adam's mistake has now been imputed upon us? And he said to me, very wisely, after many years of ministry, he said, well, Henry, did you ever think that Adam was in the best position possible? I was like, well, what do you mean by that? It's because Adam saw God. He didn't have Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, nothing to influence him to be disobedient. No peer pressure, no Reddit to post a question, seeing what people thought. It was just him and God. And he still chose disobedience. And I was like, yeah, Pastor Thomas, you're right. Now, this idea is a little bit distasteful for us as Americans, because we're individuals, that why should one person's decision be put upon us? Ah, but it's a very Eastern idea. I mean, even in the Disney movie Mulan, Mulan's decision could either bring honor or shame to their family. One person affecting the whole family. And even a more recent example, Years ago, when Chipotle fed food that was not quite certified and got people sick, people just didn't stop going to those specific Chipotle restaurants that serve bad Chipotle burritos. They stopped going altogether. That one person's mistake affected everyone. So it's no surprise that Adam's sin led to our demise. And what is that particular demise? It's death, separation from God, an eternity spent apart from a God who gave us life. And if God created us for life, now we are dead. How do we get back to that life? Well, one man's obedience led to the resurrection of the redeemed. That one man who obeyed God led to humanity regaining life again. One man's obedience led to humanity to the resurrection of the redeemed. And we see that in verse 21 and 22 as well. The second half of verse 21 says, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Again, who is this man? In verse 22, we see, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now you may be thinking in verse 22, well, when Paul writes all, does he really mean all? Does he mean all of humanity? That every single person on this earth is now alive in Christ? But if you look at that phrase, in Christ, in verse 22, there's kind of a prerequisite for what you need to do in order to be in Christ. You're not automatically in Christ. That to be in Christ requires faith. That Christ died on a cross for your sins and rose again three days later. And if you don't believe in that message, then you're still in Adam, and you're still on that journey, bound on that train to an eternity apart from God. Now, if you had problems with Adam representing you in sin, then you should also have problems with Christ representing you as well. Because when Christ died on the cross for your sins, He represented you. That would be absurd. It would be ridiculous. Now you may be thinking to yourself, okay, well, how can one man's good then lead to our good? I think about 50 years ago when my father in China, nine years old, decided to get on a boat and sail across the Pacific Ocean to California. He grew up in San Francisco. And let's just say San Francisco was not as tolerant as the United States is today. He was bullied, beat up. He grew up in a tough place. He persevered through a tough childhood. He persevered through a difficult adulthood. Even though he had a college degree, he had to work a blue-collar job. Why? So that my brother and me could benefit from his decision to immigrate with his family here to the United States. I didn't go to my dad and say, why did you immigrate here? Take it all back. But his blessing led to my blessing. And it is such a far stretch to think of what Christ did benefiting us, the redeemed, that because of his resurrection, we too can experience it as well. You see, we need to remember the necessity of the resurrection. Because without it, we would all still be dead. Well then, that's what we need to remember, but what do we need to anticipate? What do we need to look forward to? What do we need to expect? Well, we need to anticipate the accomplishment of the resurrection. We need to look forward to when we will receive our resurrected bodies because we haven't received them yet, right? That is something that we are looking forward to in the future, that we are anticipating, looking forward to the resurrection. Now, we see in the text that Christ foreshadows the resurrection, that Him rising from the dead three days later foreshadows our future resurrection. And we see this in verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits. Now, I don't know how many of you are gardeners. I know some of you are. But the first fruits is what you actually gather in from the first harvest. So, my mom back home in California has a huge garden. And every time she has new dragon fruit, she sends us a text message of a photo of her first dragon fruit, saying this is a foreshadowing of our harvest to come this year. There may be oranges in her garden that she will send us photos of, saying, look at these oranges. We look forward to when you come back, because then you're able to taste the rest of the oranges that we picked. Now, for those of you who don't have a green thumb, think of even your iPhone. Right? That the iPhone 1 was a predecessor for every single iPhone to come. The design hasn't changed very much. Right? And so, if this iPhone and these fruits are foreshadowing what's to come, then Christ rising from the dead is a foreshadowing of the resurrection that we will experience. And then the question is well, when will this happen? Because I still feel aches and pains. I can't eat but I always want to eat anymore, especially as I grow older. I have to watch my diet, my exercise, my fitness. When will this happen? Well, it says in verse 23, then at His coming, those who belong to Christ, that when Christ returns specifically to establish His rule, the resurrection will come then when Christ returns to put all these powers, authorities, and dominions under his feet, then we will experience the resurrection. Because it continues in verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. That he rigs all these things to explode and he will overcome and that he will be in charge because verse 25, it continues, for he must reign until he has put all his enemy under his feet. And the last thing that we be put under submission to Christ is death. For verse 26 says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That when Christ returns, death will be no more. You no longer have to go take a family member to the doctor to get diagnosed for disease. You don't have to go to the ICU to go see a family member who's hooked up to tubes and comatose. You won't ever have to worry about having harm inflicted upon you But the other implication is that all of you in the medical profession will be out of a job, right? Because at that moment, death is something we no longer have to fear, and it's not going to be the norm. And it continues that God's rule will be reestablished on this earth. Verse 27 says, For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. And well, what does accept mean? That God the Father will put everything under the authority of the Son, except, of course, God the Father, and that Christ will indeed Rule. The image here is of a Roman emperor sending out his general to quell the rebellion in a far-off land. Once the rebellious forces are put down, that general will return that region, the authority of that place, to the emperor. And Christ will one day do the same. Because verse 28 says, When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand that there is a difference in terms of power and authority because Jesus is God. God is three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit, they are equal in power and authority. They are the same in substance, equal in person. But there is difference in roles, that Christ is sent out to establish God's rule and return it to God the Father. So, we see that the resurrection will occur when Christ returns to accomplish and establish God's rule. So then, what do we need to ponder? What do we need to think about in the meanwhile? Well, we need to ponder and think about the influence, the effect, the results of the resurrection. How does the resurrection affect us as believers? How does it affect even our everyday life? That's what we need to ponder to ruminate on, to think about is the resurrection. Because, have you ever thought first that if there is no resurrection, then why be baptized? Because verse 29 is a minefield of sorts. Because as I read it, you're going to be, like, huh? And let's just say I don't have the answers because there have been 40 to 400 interpretations of just verse 29. Dissertations have been written, and it's still a mystery. So the exact interpretation is unknown, but I will give you one. Verse 29 says this. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Now you're thinking, okay, we don't baptize here people on behalf of others, right? We don't practice vicarious baptism. We're not Mormon. And you would be absolutely right. We are not Mormon, and we do not practice vicarious baptism. So what is Paul talking about here? There is this belief that in the pagan culture around Corinth, there was possibly this practice of baptizing people on behalf of the dead. And the Corinthian church here adopted that same practice. Now I want to be clear. Hear me out. Paul does not condone the practice, okay? He does not support the practice. It's more of an observation to make his case that the resurrection is important. Now, think about this. Why would you baptize someone vicariously on behalf of someone else? Let's say you have a family member or a beloved one who is a believer on his or her deathbed and is not able to be baptized, then you would say, Well, I volunteered to be baptized on their behalf, and so that you get baptized. And therefore, by being baptized, you're trying to signify that the resurrection is important, and this loved one may not experience the resurrection because he or she is not baptized. Because if you're baptized onto death and there is no resurrection, then what are you raised to? Nothing. So that's why baptism, if it truly does symbolize the gospel, baptized into death, and raised to new life, then even in this pagan and not supported practice, there seems to be this idea that there is a resurrection resurrection coming. So therefore, we need to believe it. Let me give you another example. When I go home to California, I oftentimes visit my dad at his gravesite. I visit his gravestone and I go with my mom. Now, I don't know why, but every time my mom goes, she gives my dad an update of what has happened this past year. Oh, you know, I went on a vacation to Europe with my friends. You know, my brother, Jason, he's dating someone now, and I don't know whether or not he's gonna get married. I'm concerned about his... Okay, so then the question is, why is, he ta- why is my mom talking to my dad's greatest when he is clearly gone? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe I'm the only weird family, right? But for some reason, there's something internally within us that understands that there is something that happens after death. And Paul is saying that something is that foreshadowing of the resurrection. right? So, think about it. Even baptism symbolizes And looks forward to the resurrection. Now the second thing is that if you think about the resurrection, it gives you strength to persevere even under trial. For Paul writes in verse 30, highlighting his persecution, why are we in danger every hour? Why is he dragged out by mobs, almost stoned to death, put on ship and then experiencing shipwreck? If there is no resurrection... And verse 31 continues, I protest, brothers, my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. That every single day I preach this gospel of death and resurrection, I experience danger to my life that my life could possibly be forfeit. And he continues in verse 32, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? Now you wonder well, when did Paul fight with the beasts? I don't remember that in Acts. I don't remember him writing in the epistles. Like, where, where does that show up? And Paul wouldn't have fought the beasts at Ephesus because, if you recall in the book of Acts, he's a Roman citizen. Only not citizens are thrown into the, the rink and to be eaten by beasts. So, what is he talking about? Well, verse 32 could be a metaphor for his opponents, meaning that those beasts at Ephesus are those who oppose his ministry. I mean, I'm certain some of you have called your employers worse things, but they're not really monsters or beasts, right? And so it's metaphorical language saying that I was opposed even in preaching the resurrection. And then here is the implication. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Saying that if we're not resurrected, then why don't we just enjoy a hedonistic lifestyle where it's all about me, hey, that new restaurant that opened up, let's go eat, let's go drink, let's enjoy all there is to life because this is all there is and ever will be. So why miss out? And Paul says, no. The reason why we persevere, the reason why we continue to live the Christian life is because the resurrection will happen and it gives us hope and it gives us courage. So, not only do we need to ponder the influence of the resurrection, we also need to guard the resurrection, the idea of the resurrection, the concept of the resurrection, that we need to be watchful in guarding this idea and this concept. Because Paul continues to write in verse 33 that we need to watch the friends we make. It says, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals that we need to be careful who we allow into our friend circles because many people have been ran asunder because of the poor friends that they keep. Do the friends that you surround yourself with believe that there is a life after death where we are accountable to God? And if they don't, then I would caution you to listen to their counsel. Because this life is not that there all is and ever will be, because there is a resurrection coming. Not only do you need to watch what your friends and who those friends are, you need to be able to watch what you believe, watch your doctrine, watch your thinking, because verse 34, Paul writes, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, I say this to your shame, that you have to wake up, Corinthians. Eyes on me, Paul. How can you not believe in the resurrection? Be careful of what you think. Be careful of what you believe. And you need to wise up and be wary of false teaching that would steer you astray from what the resurrection is and its importance in the Christian life. Now, you know, we talked about this idea of persisting, persevering, continuing to be steadfast in believing in the resurrection. The way to do it is to remember the necessity of the resurrection. We need to anticipate the accomplishment of the resurrection. We need to ponder the influence of the resurrection on our lives. To guard the idea, the concept, the belief in the resurrection. Now, as it was prayed and also sung, that this Sunday is Palm Sunday. Where thousands of years ago, Jesus Christ came into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. Where people put palm branches on the street saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus was on his way to the Temple Mount. Jerusalem, the people there, thought, our king has come. He's come to overthrow the Roman government. He's finally here to set us free, and we're able to experience again the glory days. The days of Solomon, the days of splendor. And they didn't expect five days later that they would be saying, crucify him, crucify him. Because he was not the king they were expecting or the king that they wanted. And after his crucifixion and his resurrection, he ascended. And we too, as the people of God, are anticipating the return of our king. That we are looking forward to when Christ will return to this earth. And we're able to say, Hosanna. This is our king. Because when Christ returns to this earth this time, there will be no more death and we will experience the resurrection. So as we wait, as we continue to wait patiently for the return of our King, persist in believing in the resurrection.